Welcome to the podcast edition of the University of Queensland's Global Leadership Series webinar, What to Expect of a Trans-Tasman Travel Bubble. This webinar was recorded on the 22nd of July, 2020. Our host of this conversation is Associate Professor Gabby Walters of UQ Business School. Gabby is an expert in tourism marketing, specialising in consumer psychology and reputation management following disaster. There's a lot of talk among tourism academics uh, around how can we come back better? This is our opportunity to stop and think about tourism and reflect on, on where we're at with tourism and issues such as over-tourism over and, and CO2 emissions. Our second panellist is the Chief Marketing Officer of Tourism and Events Queensland, Michael Brenner. Michael is one of Australia's top advertising, media and marketing leaders and was responsible for the popular Best Job in the World campaign for Tourism Queensland. What we know is that something like 74% of New Zealanders have visited Queensland more than four times. So, yeah, you know, it's a tremendous opportunity and a huge opportunity to turn that tap back on. Our final panellist and New Zealand representative is Professor James Hyam of the Department of Tourism within the University of Otago. James has held visiting fellowships at the University of Savenja in Norway and the University of Queensland. His research interests include tourism, sustainable development and environmental change. Well, I hope that Australia and New Zealand can work very closely together and successfully to create a world first, which will be a, a safe international travel zone for the tourism restart. In this podcast, our panel discussed the benefits of a trans-Tasman bubble, including the surprising effect it could have on the environment. They also delve into the bubble's potential challenges, how we can minimise the associated risk, and what is necessary to even create the bubble in the first place. Here's Associate Professor Gabby Walters. Okay, so first and foremost, I'm going to direct this question to you both. Michael, let's hear from you first. Why does a trans-Tasman bubble make sense and how can, will tourism in Australia and New Zealand benefit from this initiative? Thank you, Gabby. Um, a, great way to, a great way to start the webinar with a question like that. Um, the trans-Tasman bubble makes sense for lots of different reasons, but primarily I look at it from two points of view. First of all, from the economic benefit that a trans-Tasman bubble could unlock and realise, and also secondly, from a, from a consumer point of view as well and a traveller point of view uh, in terms of releasing the, the opportunity for people to get out there and, and start exploring and start traveling and, and experiencing the world. And that happens on both sides, you know, not just from a, a, an Australian or a Queensland point of view, but from a New Zealand point of view as well. But if you think about first and foremost, if, you know, selfishly looking at Queensland, um, the economic opportunity that reopened by a bubble, um, you know, Queensland receives around $600 million per year in overnight visitor expenditure out of New Zealand. And that has been turned off that tap has literally stopped in recent months. And that has had an incredibly dramatic impact on our tourism industry, not just from New Zealand, but also other parts of the world as well and, and domestically too. But the opportunity to turn that tap back on um, is, is sitting there waiting to happen if a trans-Tasman bubble was to eventuate. New Zealand has for a long time um, been the number one contributor 
to uh, to Queensland in terms of ec- economic impact from international visitation. Recently overtaken by China, um, which is obviously of no surprise to many, but for so long New Zealand has contributed significantly to the economic value of tourism in Queensland and has really played a key role in the development and growth of Queensland's tourism industry through that visitation. Yeah, we receive close to 500,000 uh, Kiwi visitors into Queensland each year, uh, which is a big number. And it's not just about those guys coming each year. What we know is that something like 74% of New Zealanders have visited Queensland more than four times. So, yeah, you know, it's a tremendous opportunity and a huge opportunity to turn that tap back on. And at a point in time when our industry is really you know, starving and, and needing a kickstart, uh, opening up a bubble with New Zealand could be just the kickstart that we need. Absolutely. And James, I happen to um, know you and I know your research, and I know that you think that this is going to be a really good thing for the planet. Can you elaborate a little on that? Yeah, so, uh, so I've written a little bit recently um, of, of the changing circumstances. Uh, and and what, I've, what I've argued uh, is that uh, domestic tourism is, is very good uh, for our economy, but uh, it's also good in terms of the amount of CO2 that we produce per dollar of uh, tourism GDP, because obviously domestic tourists don't have to fly to get here. Um, the, uh, the other reality is that uh, visitors from Australia have a relatively low carbon footprint per dollar GDP uh, compared to our European and, uh, and other long-haul markets. So I just mentioned a study that was published some years ago now, 2010. That study looked at our inbound visitor markets and CO2 and found that Australian tourists made up in that year, 2010, 37% of all of our international visitors, and they were responsible for 13% of air travel emissions. By contrast, visitors from Europe made up 18% of total visitors, but 43% of CO2. So the, the argument is that if we focus more on our proximal markets, mainly domestic tourism and Australian tourism, then the CO2 emissions per dollar GDP will come down very, very significantly. So the idea of, of uh, these um, bubbles, whether it's a Pacific bubble or a Trans-Tasman bubble, may actually be an insight into a, a more sustainable future where we market less to the extreme long-haul markets and more to um, Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, Pacific neighbours that are actually already are really important international markets. It certainly makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of talk among tourism academics uh, around how can we come back better? This is our opportunity to stop and think about tourism and reflect on, on where we're at with tourism and issues such as over-tourism over and, and CO2 emissions that the industry emits. So um, some great insight there, James. So moving on, there are certainly a lot of benefits as we've just discussed, but we are getting a few curveballs um, in very recent times, which have led to some delays in discussions about the Trans-Tasman bubble, which brings us to the challenges of this arrangement. Michael, what do you see as the main challenges of this initiative for Australia? And, and we'll let you talk about Queensland in particular as well. The, the first and primary challenge is getting it to actually happen. Uh, there has been much talk and certainly publicised talk through media um, about the 
trans-Tasman bubble eventuating. The reality at this point in time is that there's been no decision to do so. Um, and therefore, we all sit hypothesizing and planning just exactly what we need to do should a, bu a bubble eventuate. But until such a point in time, and if I look at it from an Australian perspective, you know, a federal decision is made. It has to be made at the federal level. The states are you know, locked out of and, in, and unable to go it alone without that federal um, backing. Until that federal backing um, is made and the federal decision is given to open up the bubble, um, we, we sit on our hands and we wait. And that's, you know, that's the reality of the situation we're in. Once that decision is made, then there's a lot that needs to happen. You know, there's so much and so many things that need to fall into place um, to begin actually taking advantage of the bubble. First and foremost, you know, the aviation capacity needs to be stood back up. Um, without, without aviation, uh, the bubble is still a, a hypothetical bubble because people need to be able to get both ways across the Tasman uh, to be able to leverage the benefits. Behind all of that, then the rest of the infrastructure needs to take place as well. The, the trade partners, um, the agency groups, the travel agent groups, the wholesalers, you know, everybody who is a connected part of that value chain that actually makes tourism happen then needs to, um, in many cases, stand themselves back up uh, to be able to support the demand that may well come into place there. Uh, and finally, uh, consumers need to have the confidence to actually start to travel internationally again as well. Uh, there needs to be that, that level of certainty from a consumer point of view around traveling safely. Uh, but you know, first and foremost, you know, selfishly from an Australian point of view, we need the governments to agree that the bubble will proceed. And if that happens, then we will run at a thousand miles an hour to do everything else behind that to, to, to put it into place. So it seems evident there's a lot of ducks that we have to line up. We have to get the aviation sector behind this. In Australia, we have to get the federal government behind this. And ideally, we'd, we'd love to have a little bubble between Queensland and New Zealand, but that doesn't seem to be a reality, Michael, does it? Yeah, no, a, a Queensland, New Zealand bubble um, doesn't feel like it's going to be a reality without an Australia, New Zealand bubble. That's that's clearly the communication that's been delivered at the federal level. Um, and the other thing I think we need to be conscious of as well, and we're, we're seeing it and James has alluded to it as well, is the consumer sentiment piece um, is, is really important. The last thing we want to do um, is go backwards. So getting to that point where there is confidence to, to open a bubble is really one of the last major hurdle uh, that we'll need to jump over. We see that there's enormous sentiment for opening up bubbles within the tourism sector and within the tourism industry. We also see at a broader population level that there is a lot of sentiment that suggests that we need to stay closed as long as possible. Uh, so it's, you know, it, it's a real push and pull thing. It's a real tussle. You know, we absolutely get and we know that there is huge demand within the industry sector to open up uh, and for all the right reasons as well. But we also understand at a broader consumer level that, you know, what they're seeing things like Victoria, they're seeing what's going on in Victoria. They're well aware of, um, you know, what could happen should there be an escalation of the COVID situation. And therefore, there's hesitation to suggest that opening the borders in their eyes is the right thing to be doing as well. So there are so many different things that all need to line up to, to make this possible. Um, all we've got to do is make sure that we have all our ducks in a row for when the time is right to do so. And I can imagine the planning at the current time, it, it's difficult with things changing so rapidly. But 100%, like, uh, through my research, 
um, in, in tourist psychology or consumer psychology, there's no, it doesn't matter what you have in place. If consumers aren't feeling confident to travel, then you're wasting your time. So, so consumers, tourists really need to feel that the industry has their best interests at heart. Yeah. And the sentiment of the destination needs to be there to welcome tourists in as well. That's right. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Um, there's a great word we use in tourism um, that's coopetition. And coopetition is like when all operators within a destination need to work together to promote that destination in its entirety to get people there. But then once this happens, they become competitive. So they're all in competition with each other to win their business. I see an element of this in relation to this trans-Tasman bubble arrangement. Australia, for example, needs a collaborative effort because federal government won't let us just promote Queensland, um, from all states and territories to promote Australia to New Zealand. But, Michael, how does Queensland stand out to be a destination of choice? So how do we win? Um, well, we're fortunate in, in some respects that Queensland is a is a very well run, very well known very well known destination in the eyes of of New Zealand and Kiwi travellers. Yeah, you know, the Kiwis do love Queensland. Uh, they love Queensland for what Queensland is famous for, which is our amazing weather, our sunshine, our beaches, um, our great you know, al fresco outdoor dining scene, all those type of things. You know, the warm tropical climate. You know, we are well renowned and and loved for that from a New Zealand point of view. And the repeat visitation numbers speak to that, uh, which is absolutely fantastic. So as a destination of choice, we, we, we know that amongst Kiwis, we are you know, the number one destination of choice for a leisure traveller. If you look at the leisure uh, and holiday sector, you know, we have around 42% share of the le- leisure market into Australia, in Queensland. So the dominant destination, uh, which is a fantastic position to be in, but it's also one to protect at the same point in time as well, because we know that consumer trends change and you know, travellers needs change and um, you know as we as we come out of this COVID situation you know will will consumers want to do the same things they did before um, so therefore remaining the destination of choice is going to be a matter of ensuring that we position the destination in the eyes of what the traveller is going to be looking for post-COVID as well um, so ensuring that you know things like um, a sense of freedom, a sense of space, all those things that the research is telling us consumers are becoming more and more um, sympathetic with and, and in need of post-COVID are going to be really key ways to look to market the destination. Um, you know, it's not necessarily going to be about going to places where you feel like you are, you know, caught up in a crowd or not having a sense of space around you. So, we're certainly looking to our marketing activity, our marketing materials to ensure that when we look at images, when we look at video content, whatever, that those cues are there within our marketing materials. So as people feel like we will be a safe destination, people will be inspired to, to visit here because it, it meets their needs um, post-COVID as well. Uh, and hopefully by, by being uh, consumer-centric, um, by being responsive to what we see our consumer needs, um, we can maintain that destination of choice position in the eyes of Kiwi travellers. You know, that's probably all our trade secrets given away in, uh, <laughs> in a couple of minutes. But, um, no one will tell anyone. <laughs> no one will tell anyone. I get it. So, yeah, that's, that's, our, that's our aim. Yeah. Okay. James, can you see the same issue for New Zealand? Like, is there, are there going to be winners and losers uh, uh, within New Zealand? Are there destinations that are likely to be more popular than others? Or how are they going to ensure that everyone gets a fair... 
piece of the pie, so to speak? It's uh, a great question, Gabby, and it's, a, it's an enormous challenge. Um, Michael's already told us about the challenges of restarting such a complex industry from, uh, from a black start, um, from zero. Uh, once we get the wheels turning again, uh, there are going to be some really significant uh, challenges, further challenges for us to consider. I think that COVID-19 has brought Australia and New Zealand closer together. Um, at the moment, within our borders in, in New Zealand, we have this really strong sense of doing the right thing for our tourism businesses in this country. And obviously the focus is on domestic, that's 23 out of $40 billion a year in tourism expenditure, domestic tourists. But there's this real willingness, I think, to work closely with Australia to make this Trans-Tasman bubble a world first um, safe uh, air corridor between our, our destinations. So I think we've come a lot closer together. Um, and I think that any concerns about winners and losers may be a bridge that we can cross when we get to it, so to speak. In 2019, Australians spent $2.5 billion in the New Zealand economy. And New Zealanders spent $1.7 billion, I think, uh, of the total $5 billion spent overseas uh, in 2019. So Australia and, and Queensland, as Michael has said, is really important as a, as a destination for Kiwis. We love travelling to Queensland. Yes, we love going to Sydney and Melbourne as well, but there is something really special about Queensland. It's very attractive to us. Uh, we're in the middle of winter here right now, and uh, there's lots of talk about reopening Rarotonga, for example, and reopening uh, Queensland would be, would be extremely attractive for Kiwis. One of the other challenges we'll face, uh, and we're facing it, we're beginning to face this now, we have completely ignored our domestic tourism market uh, as far as marketing is concerned, historically. Uh, our 100% pure marketing campaign has been global and it's targeted uh, international visitors. Now we're facing a problem of, of re-diverting our, our marketing efforts to domestic tourists and subsequently we expect to um, Australian states and uh, how we do that in a way that is equitable and fair you know everyone knows about Queenstown but uh, coastal Otago, Dunedin, um, other parts of central Otago, other parts of New Zealand want to see the same sorts of opportunities for tourism to restart their economies so how we market the domestic market uh, in a way that's equitable regionally within New Zealand and how we do the same when the Trans-Tasman Trans bubble opens. Those are really challenging questions and uh, those are challenges that we're going to have to face up to pretty quickly. Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting. I mean, uh, just going back to Michael's point around um, coastal and, and regional destinations being favoured and my research um, on COVID has certainly... Um, confirmed that, that people are wanting to sort of gravitate away from cities and more crowded areas and they will embrace coastal and regional destinations, which I think could be a real opportunity for both Australia and New Zealand in um, dispersing tourists towards those destinations that generally, as a rule, don't get the visitation that our major tourism hubs do. So um, some great insight there, 
Um, and, and Michael Queensland offers all of that. I mean, why would you go anywhere else, really? <laughs> oh, that's so true, Gabby. And I think, I, I think you're right. But I think that's also the opportunity with New Zealand as well is, uh, and our, our research backs it up, is that we, Queensland is well known amongst New Zealand, certain parts of Queensland probably more so than others. Um, you know, we're certainly recognised for our Gold Coast, we're recognised for our Sunshine Coast, Brisbane, um, and potentially um, to some degree, you know, North Queensland, driven more so now by the aviation access in. So, you know, the, the airport access has traditionally been to the Gold Coast, Brisbane, uh, Sunshine Coast and Cairns. There is so much more of a Queensland that um, is unknown amongst Kiwi travellers as well. And there's a big opportunity there to really show them a Queensland that they potentially have never seen before and didn't know about before now. And speaking of, of coastal destinations and that 3S sunset and surf appeal, um, there's talk about, and, and it was mentioned earlier, um, the Pacific Island nations being included in this travel bubble and becoming a Pacific bubble. Um, Many of them are COVID-free, as we know, and many of them have a high economic dependency on tourism. So, so why not? James, how about New Zealand? How will New Zealand fare if these, these island nations come on board? Yeah, uh, good question, Gabby. Uh, I think I'd have to begin by saying that our current government has uh, a strong sense of commitment to the Pacific Islands, uh, has done so right, uh, right from the start of, uh, of its term and 2017, expressing concern around climate change and uh, and you know um, possibilities of uh, climate migrants and wanting to support those Pacific communities, that has certainly extended through this COVID crisis. So I think the government is very conscious of the importance of tourism to our Pacific neighbours' economies um, and is keen to explore the Pacific bubble um, proposal. To, uh, to support those economies. Of course, Kiwis love traveling to places like Rarotonga, Samoa, Tonga. Um, and so, you know, I suppose um, that there are Kiwis who, who would, would also feel that they would benefit from uh, an opening up of that uh, Pacific bubble. Uh, in terms of the, uh, the, the costs and the benefits, the, um, the relative flows, um, of course, like Australia, this would be an outbound, uh, more than an inbound uh, flow. Although uh, the Pacific Islands are quite important to our tourism economy in some ways, we see um, lots of uh, VFR travel into Auckland in particular, the Upper North Island with uh, large Polynesian communities. Um, so there would be benefits there for our economy. Uh, but primarily this would be a bubble that would be pursued to support those, those Pacific economies. Interestingly, uh, I saw uh, today a proposal um, being put forward by the Hamilton uh, Council, um, floating the idea of Hamilton becoming a gateway for Pacific flights um, and using uh, Hamilton hotels for quarantine if necessary um, to take pressure uh, off uh, Auckland Airport in terms of any other travellers coming in uh, from international uh, origins to Auckland. Uh, we could have a, a, a kind of Pacific cluster gateway, if you like, uh, in Hamilton, looking again to perhaps um, play a part in, in restarting the uh, the tourism economy from a, uh, a, a regional perspective. So interesting to see these sorts of ideas uh, being put forward. I don't know if Hamilton will uh, serve as a, as a gateway for, uh, for Pacific flights, but um, certainly it's, uh, it's uh, very much part of the conversation at the moment, how we might and when we might open up a, a, a Pacific bubble. It's interesting to reflect on the opportunities of um, 
of the of this particular crisis. Um, and um, yes, it is. It has been very difficult for the tourism industry, but there are no doubt many opportunities that can be had, particularly when it comes to uh, tourist dispersion and and sustainability. Um, so. You know, we can look at this from a glass half full perspective, and I think with all the doom and gloom around, it's probably a good thing sometimes to reflect on those. I'm going to take us to our last question now. What can and, and what will the tourism industry do to minimise the risk of transmission um, to and among tourists and host communities? Michael, are you able to share with us some of Queensland's COVID safe plans uh, sure. that are likely to reassure mm -hmm. our tourists and, and our communities? Yes. Yeah. Um, look, beyond... The obvious one, obviously, is what's happening at a border control level, mm -hmm. uh, and you know, both at a federal and a state level, there are you know, many, many steps being put in place to ensure that people entering either the country or entering individual states and territories are um, either you know complying with any requirements around um, isolation and quarantining, um, and you know that's been proven to be quite. Um, successful so far and has ensured that if that in the case of any outbreaks or the escalation of any outbreaks that in many instances you know they are able to do contact tracing uh, and identify you know and ensure that any potential outbreak is kept to a minimum but if you step beyond that into the communities and into the individual operator environments there are also many many other things being done to ensure the traveler and to also to ensure the community that things will remain um, safe. At a community level, one of the things that we've um, you know, had to really focus on within Queensland is Indigenous communities and the need to ensure that you know, the Indigenous communities remain safe and protected during this time. So you'll still find within Queensland at the moment that there are several parts of the state that um, you know, can't be entered from a tourism point of view because um, of the, the health concern to Indigenous communities. And that will get unlocked over time and, and those communities will op open up again and as will the experiences within them. Um, but, you know, they're just some of the other steps that have been taken to be put in place there for both not only the protection of the community, but also um, for the travellers themselves. Within the broad industry, there's been a lot of work done um, through QTIC and through other industry bodies to ensure that our, our operators are adopting COVID safe practices. Uh, and that's been an incredibly important step. So um, by putting a COVID safe plan in place and within Queensland, there are, there are around three that an operator can choose to follow. Uh, they can then ensure and provide a level of um, reassurance to their guests um, and visitors that they are taking the right steps and right practices um, to ensure that the guests will feel like they are safe when they arrive. So there's been a huge amount of work done um, at across government and across industry level to ensure that the steps, the plans and the procedures are put in place to give the travellers a sense of uh, safety and security when they visit here, but also importantly, to get, let the operators know what they need to do um, at the other end as well. James, uh, how is New Zealand going to manage any sort of angst among the host communities around um, people coming in from other countries and particularly Australia, where we still um, unfortunately cannot say that we don't have any active cases? Yeah, this I think is, is, the, is the key uh, to the trans-Tasman bubble. I think it's the biggest barrier that we face. Um, Michael's talked about uh, all the safeguards, um, sanitation, PPE, um, social distancing, uh, et cetera. 
the situation here now is that we've been through the lockdown levels. We've been to lockdown level four, and then we've come back down three, two to one. We've returned to normality. We have zero community transmission. And the priority of the government um, and the medical officer of health is that we protect this status with everything at our disposal. So in the last two weeks, I have been sitting in a stadium with 30,000 people. I've been uh, skiing, uh, sitting on chairlifts with complete strangers. And often the conversations have been around, aren't we lucky? Isn't it amazing that uh, we've got this normal life again? Um, obviously, we can't travel outside the borders, but we have graduation ceremonies coming up. We have sports events back to reasonable, reasonably normal circumstances. So uh, all else aside, uh, with lockdown levels um, one through four, we are going to protect our border. That's the policy of the current government. Um, and, and, and that really is, uh, is the context that, um, that we're facing at the moment. Uh, there is a huge amount of community concern about possible threats to our current zero uh, community transmission status. Uh, and that extends to Kiwis coming back into the country, being quarantined in hotels for 14 days. We've had four or so cases of people slipping out overnight and going to uh, the local supermarket or, or whatever. And the government has said, these are not prisons. You know, we have um, secure hotels. We have uh, police and armed forces um, securing those hotels, but they're not prisons. And there's been a huge resistance and, and really a public outcry against people who have breached their quarantine and put all of us at risk, uh, put this uh, effort of the team of five million at risk, uh, put our economy at risk. So I think from a Kiwi point of view, it is all about the border and um, we need to keep that border secure um, so that when tourism bubbles open, people can come here and circulate as normal, so to speak, without uh, any stress or concern for the visitors themselves but also for the host communities about um, COVID reinfection. I think that's really important as uh, it's one thing to generate tourism activity and, and think of how to attract visitors, but we really need to ensure that our host communities are already willing to welcome visitors with open arms because the last thing you want on a holiday is animosity, right? So um, it sounds like Australia and New Zealand have both got, got checks in place for this and doing a tremendous job. James and Michael, thank you so much for your fruitful and highly informative insight. Such a great discussion. Uh, we've learned so much today. No, I've had an enjoyable time. Thank you very much for uh, the invitation to be part of this. Um, we look forward to, to both people um, on, in New Zealand and Australia. Uh, let's hope that um, we have this bubble um, you know, in the foreseeable future. It will, be a great, it will be a great thing for the tourism economy and industry. Here, here. I'd just, uh, I'd just like to say thank you to Gabby and, uh, and Aidan and uh, everyone else involved in this webinar. This uh, discussion has been absolutely fascinating from my point of view. And uh, I, I just, uh, like Michael, I hope that Australia and New Zealand can work very closely together and successfully to create a world first, which will be a, a safe international travel zone for the tourism restart. We hope you enjoyed listening to our experts, Associate Professor Gabby Walters, Michael Brenner and Professor James Hyam. If you would like to hear more from UQ experts, then check out our range of webinars and podcasts on the UQ alumni website 
or follow UQ alumni on social media. My name is Lucy Blair and thanks for listening. Thank you.